Let's get going. I know everybody's got places to be and things to do today, so I promise not to be too long-winded. Again, I, I was threatened once this morning with a glare and a stern look, you know, so I get it. I, I can read minds, but we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and we've been talking about this series, In His Image, and understanding what that means. And, and again, I want you to understand this. This is piggybacking off of the last one. These two things are going together because understanding who you are in Christ is crucial. And it starts at the very beginning. So let's go there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 20. Now I've read this. I'm just kind of repeating this so you guys get this. Verse 20. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. And let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the sea and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and morning were the fifth day. Now we go into day six. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind. Cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to its kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind. Cattle according to its kind. And everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said... Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So there's a distinction that was made. All of the other created events took place. He kind of lists them out, goes through them. But when he gets to man, he turns his attention to some very specific things. He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then he says, let them have dominion over pretty much everything. And as I told you last time, that the meaning of this in Hebrew, this word in is Beth, it's translated as is or to be as. And so it would say it like this, let us create mankind to be our image. Let us create mankind as our image. It's this representation of who they are. To be an imager of God, a representative of God was God's original plan. So you put it like this, and I know I keep going this, but I want you to get it. If I put the dishes in the sink, the word in denotes the location. If I say I broke the dish in pieces, it denotes the result. If I say I wrote the letter in pencil, it denotes the instrument. But if I say that I work in medicine or accounting or education, it means I work as a doctor, an accountant, a teacher. It denotes the role or the function, and that is what's going on here. We were created to function as God's representative on the earth. And as I've said before, there's a lot of misnomers about what happened and what the Garden of Eden was and, and all of that. That comes a lot of times just because we don't, we don't do homework, frankly. We hear something, the first thing we hear that excites us, we believe, and we just kind of go with it. And we see things that in movies and books, and it's a lot of theological stuff that's just nonsensical. I mean, our ideas about hell primarily comes from Dante's Inferno, which later resulted in the movies being made. And that's just not how it works. Same with heaven. The, uh, the TV show, Touched by an Angel, y'all remember that? Some of you older folks remember that? Yeah, there you go. My mom was obsessed with that show. Loved everything about it. But let me tell you something. Theologically accurate, it was not. But it was a good TV show. And that's okay. Just remember, we get our theology not from TV shows. Even if it says there's an angel in it, okay? So we see that God's original purpose for man from the garden was to rule. 
And then in verse 28 of Genesis 1, it said, God blessed him and said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So all things were put underneath Adam's dominion. He was God on this earth, so to speak, because he was his representative. And we see that that was God's original plan. Now, we saw something transition. But we also see in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, it says, This is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them mankind the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So what did Adam do? He begot somebody as a representative, as Adam. It's kind of like you'll hear people say like, our family doesn't do it. This is our, you need to represent that name. You used to have family crest. I don't even know if they still do this. Okay? Mine would be weird. I can't even imagine what mine would look like. But, but you would have these and you represented the family. Think about the royal family. There's a certain set of expectation and dominion that comes from just simply being related to them, depending on what it is. So Adam created a son in his own image after his likeness, just like God did. God created Adam to dominate, if you will, the earth, to rule and to reign as his representative. Could he do anything that was against the will of God? Well, he did. He fell in Genesis chapter 3. And as I, saw, I said last week, is that in Genesis chapter 3 is where we see the fall of man, but I also believe we see the fall of Satan. And what seems to take place here is that authority was passed from Adam to the enemy. Adam was allowed as his imager to act on behalf of God. Now, there is no clear passage that says, okay, Adam took his authority and handed it over to Lucifer. There's nothing that says that. But there are hints of it everywhere. As an example, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. I read this last week. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience and the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The God of this age, how does one get that moniker? There has to be something. You see, he had to go into a place of which he had no authority, and his only weapon was deception. But that wasn't true past that point up until the time of Christ. Because yes, he deceived, don't misunderstand me. But these people were worshiping him and were doing his bidding, and he seemed to have strongholds in the certain areas. It talks about principalities and powers. So somehow or another, he got authority to do certain things on the earth. It wasn't like he could just do whatever he wanted. And it wasn't like God lost his authority. Man lost his authority. See, when God handed it over to man and man screwed up, most of you would be like, I'm taking that away. As an example, if you give the keys to the car to your 16-year-old and they go out and they put a big scratch in it, give me them keys back. You're done. But that is not what God did. And the reason God didn't do it that way is he set certain things in place that even he himself would follow. You need to understand this. God can do anything, but he will follow the rules that he set up, so to speak. So like you'll hear an atheist say, can God make a rock so big that he can't even pick it up? Like philosophical nonsense. 
These are the things that we're talking about. God did certain things, but we see an authority factor that even when in the temptation of Jesus. Go to Matthew chapter 4. In verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So who led him there? The Holy Spirit did. For what purpose? He's going to be tempted. Now, isn't that interesting that it says it that way? Now, you need to understand and Just keep this in the back of your mind. What did Jesus come to do? Defeat the works of the enemy. So he's being led here very specifically for a very specific purpose. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, if you are, did God really say? Remember, keep that in mind. This is how it's working. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How did he eliminate this? He brought the word. means he knew it, right? Okay, look at verse 5. Then the devil took him up in the holy city, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So this time... He's questioning who he is. He's trying to convince him now even using the very method that Jesus rebutted him with initially. He brought the word. These are two passages out of Psalms. Jesus said, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So it's not just people who take scripture out of context. It's the enemy. Now look at verse 8. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, this is not a temptation if he does not have the ability to hand those kingdoms over. Think about that. Some way or another, he has got these kingdoms under his control. This authority under his control. It's if I, I, I said, listen, if you'll go over here and do this for me, I'll write you a check for a million dollars. Okay? That would not be a temptation for you. Do you know why? Th- that's exactly right. That check will not clear. Okay? It's not a temptation. If I said $20, you might question it, but you'd probably do it. The thing is, is like, there's, there's no temptation if control isn't had. Somewhere, somehow, some way, the enemy had gained control over the land. Did man walk in dominion on the earth past Adam? No. Look what happened from time and time again. God's hand was upon certain people at certain times, and they ruled and they reigned. But from the moment that the fall happened, Adam had to begin working harder to get the same results. Things changed for Eve. Things changed for the serpent. Now, you need to understand this. There is a a permissive authority that he seems to have, but he cannot just do anything he wants. Look at Job chapter 1. Now, understand the book of Job. Number one, this is Old Covenant. That matters. Number two, it is believed that this was an event that took place prior to Abraham. Okay? So this is prior to even the Mosaic Covenant. Job chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Who are the sons of God? Benai Elohim, that is the angels. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where do you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. 
The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? Have you blessed the work of his hands, his possessions have increased in the land? But now stretch at your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on this person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, we're not going to get too caught up in, in all the different stuff that's here. But obviously that Satan maybe had wanted to do something, but couldn't. Why? There was a hedge around him. It seems that throughout the entirety of Scripture, whether it was a pre-Mosaic covenant or a post-Mosaic covenant, that those who honored God were somehow shielded from the works of the enemy. Okay? Jesus, as the enemy came to him, was attempting to tempt him. He was trying to get him to do something. Now, Jesus had never sinned. That means that the enemy has no domain, no power, no authority in the life of Jesus. And so because of that, Jesus, had he fallen, would have been just like everybody else, which meant he wasn't Messiah. He was not the one they were waiting for. But because he responded, and how he responded is an example to us, he overcame. Now, you could dig into the history of this and see, this is where the Israelites got it wrong. It's kind of like this undoing and stuff. We're not going all there today. But just understand this, that there are things that the enemy has done as a result of the fall of Adam. Because somehow, some way, that authority has been turned over. Okay? You guys with me so far? Let's go on to John chapter 8. I want you to watch this, verse 12. Now this is coming out right after the woman caught in adultery. It says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now the Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Now, stop for a moment. The Pharisees, understand who they are. They were the legalists. These were the guys that would go around, and they were the ones that would have to investigate should something miraculous have taken place, and somebody was being claimed to be Messiah. That's why they were always around him. And so the Pharisees were coming in and saying, you bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. Why did they say that? He is being witness of himself, yes, but you had to have two or three witnesses under the Mosaic Covenant to make anything a possibility. Jesus is making claims. They're saying, you're the only one that saw it. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am, the, I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. So you see how he's getting around this. He's saying, like, it's not just me. I was sent by somebody, which means what? Who is he a representative of? He is a representative of the Father. He is here to do the Father's bidding. Let's go on, verse 19. They said, well, where is your Father? And Jesus said, you know neither me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury, so he's at the temple, as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him for his hour not yet come. And Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, well, will he kill himself? Because he says, where you go, I cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, 
For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. They said to Him, well, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but He who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from Him. Again, it's an indication of who He represents. He represents God to the people of this earth. You guys with me so far? This matters. Because who represented God to the people prior to Jesus being there? It would have been the leaders, the Pharisees, in this case. Verse 27, they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. And Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. When you lift him up, they will know. And he sent me. He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. And Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered, We are Abraham's descendants, have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And then they said to them, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. But why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. Now watch this. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Now, understand something here. Who was their father? It says Satan, right? That's what it said. Which means what? He has an authority in their life. Whether they recognize it as such is irrelevant. It's kind of like, have you ever met somebody who's kind of a pathological liar? They just lie all the time. Can't trust anything that they say, right? Do they even realize they're lying to the words coming out of their mouth? They don't even recognize it. Doesn't make it untrue. So what I want you to see here is that even though there's an authority, how did he work? He worked through people, okay? Now, God works through man. The enemy works through man. There are times that you will see people that are underneath the power of the enemy and they will come and do things or say things or hurt in some way or believe certain things. We have many of religious beliefs today as a result of that. There are people who have been misled by the enemy and they don't even recognize it as such. They believe that they are doing God's work. 
You can look at the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses. You can look at any of these things. Christian science, all of this stuff. One way or another, they have been misled from the truth. What did Jesus say? I came to give you the truth and you don't like it. It's not just my word. I'm telling you what my Father told me. I'm doing what I watched Him do. Why? He represented them. He was doing God's work on the earth. The Pharisees were doing the enemy's work while they were on the earth. How do we know that? Because later on, he says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Do you realize that this passage is in the same context of that? The Pharisees were the ones who were stealing, killing, and destroying through their teaching that they got, not from God. So the enemy has people working for him, if you will. There's an authority in their life. And Jesus is being confronted with that. Now, what did he not do in that moment? Stand up and say, get thee behind me, Satan. No. He was talking to the people. He's trying to show them. Now, look at 1 John 5. Verse 19 says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That means what? That every person that is not of God, okay, is under the sway of the wicked one. Why is that? Because there's still a control factor. In John chapter 12, verse 27, it says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Now what's he talking about? He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's like, well, what will I say? Save me from this? No, this is why I'm here. This is why I came. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And therefore the people who stood by and heard it had said and it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him, and Jesus answered said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now this is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. What's he doing? Why did he come? What did he come to do? Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 36. It says, The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. What did he come to do? He came to go to that cross to do what? Destroy the work of the devil. What was he? He was a representative of God. When he was here, he was God on this earth. Who was the first representative of God? Is Adam, right? So you have Adam and you have Jesus. Now you may have never thought it this way, that Adam was the first representative of God. Jesus was the second representative of God on this earth. Both came from supernatural origins, right? Because from the moment that Adam was created, there was no more molding dirt and blowing in their nose or any of that stuff. He gave man the ability. What you see in the New Testament is Adam being called a type of Jesus. Now let's look at this. We're going to start in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. Now, who is the one man? Adam. How could sin enter in? To the world because of one man's screw up. He'd been given the keys. He had the authority. 
For until now, or until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So how do we know that Adam was a type of Jesus? Doesn't take a genius, does it? It says it. So that means that we can just hang our hat on this idea. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Who's that? Adam. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Now you see the, the give and take here. The, this is what Adam did. This is what Jesus did. This is the result of what Adam did. This is the result of what Jesus did. The back and forth. The two dichotomies going on here. Verse 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through the one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Now that's interesting. And you notice he keeps saying, by that man, and then by this man. The one man who sinned, the one man who did it. You guys seeing that? Keep that in the back of your mind. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through the righteousness of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now go to verse 6, or chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How, many, or how shall we who died to sin <coughs> live any longer in it? Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, what's he talking about here? Man's flesh is bound for death. That's not what he's talking about. Adam's flesh did not die at the moment of sin, but his spirit did. Jesus came to set the captive free, destroy the works of the enemy as God's representative. He came as a man. First man got it wrong. Second man, representative of God, exact same thing that Adam was. Even how he got here was through supernatural means that had never been done before and never been done since. And here he is getting it right. And as a result of this man's walk, what happens? We are set free. We are changed. We are baptized into his death. And just like that, we are raised with him. You guys with me so far? Let's look at another one. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to bounce around in here a little bit. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declared the gospel which I preached to you. Callie, you know what that is, don't you? You're around for foundations. You get that. Which also you received and in which you stand. By which also you were saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered to you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. So what is the gospel? Christ died, 
buried, resurrected, according to the Scriptures. Then, he was seen by Cephas. Then, by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James. Then, by the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Now, why is he going into all of this? This gospel is what saves us. Saves us from what? Death. So, Jesus dying, being buried, being resurrected, saves us from death. And the fact that this happened to him wasn't just some theological thing or some analogy or a metaphor. He was seen by Cephas and then the twelve and then over 500 brethren at once. In other words, there are eyewitnesses to this. So he's like, I'm not just making it up. If you don't believe me, you may go ask them. This Jesus is unique. Now let's jump to verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What is the first fruit? always the first and the best for since by man came death by man also came the resurrection of the dead notice how it says that it did not say by since by man came death by God comes the resurrection of the dead it did not say that why did it not say that because God set things in an order gave authority to man, man wasted that authority, allowed death to enter in through their sin. God didn't just come and say, okay, you screwed up, we'll start over. He didn't bring that men in black thing, you know, and hold it in there and everybody forgot what happened. He had to do things a certain way. If you've ever wondered why Jesus came as a man, now you're starting to get it. By man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are of Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. Now when will that be? At the end. We're not there yet. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Does death still reign here? Yes, it does. Does that affect you? No, it doesn't. Did death affect Jesus? Nope. For he has put all things under his feet. And he says, all things are put under him. It is evidence that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Now what are under him? All things. This man has all authority. This man. Did Jesus come back as a spirit? Was he a ghost and just haunting people? Did he walk through the walls where the apostles were sitting and hiding and just be like, boo? No. He was resurrected in the flesh. He showed Thomas the scars. This man has all authority. What was the first man who had all authority? Adam blew it. Did Jesus? No. Did death have a right to a sinless man? No. Death could not hold him. We sing a song like that. Go to verse 35. But some, someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body what shall be, but mere grain. 
perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another of animals, of fish, and birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, and one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body, and so it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As the, was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. As is the heavenly man, so also those who are heavenly. And as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. You see, this is why Jesus came as a man. Man was given authority. Man handed authority over. Jesus came as a man to take it back. And did He do it? Yes. What is named that is above Him? Nothing. And according to what we read, it seems as if we are His body because we have been sown into His death but resurrected with Him in this image of God in this new life. Not this flesh that will perish. The flesh from Adam but in the spirit of newness. And while on this earth, what should we do? Be like Jesus. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which also you were raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What did Jesus do? Destroyed the works of the devil. You see, by sin brought death. There's a time where there will be no more tear, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more pain. That time is not now. But you and I, we don't live like they live. Because death cannot hold us. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus disarmed the principalities in power, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. How did he do it? Through his death when they had him. Through his burial when they had him. When there was resurrection. He overcame death. Death couldn't hold him because death had no right to him. You see, we have got to understand something. Jesus coming in as a man had to live this sinless life. Separated. The first man, Adam, got it wrong. The second man, Jesus, got it right. He came to earth as a man. He took the handwriting of requirements that were against us and he nailed it to the cross meaning that that is a list of judgment that whenever back then whenever you would be in prison you'd have this thing written out and you had a sentence that you were required to serve for the crime that you had committed and if any time that somebody came against you after you had served your sentence they had written at the bottom of it to tell us that it is finished it is complete 
and you could show that and you were free. But there were a handwriting of requirements against us because what do we owe? We are owed death. We have earned death. Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Death is what we have earned. The wages of sin is exactly. Have we earned it? you darn right we have. But Jesus came, he nailed that to the cross, and he disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them. If they've dis- been disarmed, why do we act like they're armed? Let's go to Ephesians 1. I'm almost done, Leslie, I promise. Ephesians 1, verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is, it is to come, And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, what is named that is above Jesus? Nothing. The first man handed over authority. The second man took it back. And where is he seated? The right hand of God. The place of authority. Far above. Far above everything, all principality, powers, mights, dominion, every name that is named is the head, but who is his body? We're his representative. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, this is talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Think firstborn. What does it say about Adam's firstborn son? In his image, after his likeness. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He was the image of the invisible God. Everything that he did was what the Father had told him because he was representing him. Now think about this. Man and Adam, God's image, broke God's laws and by doing so, handed authority over to Satan. But Jesus, God's image, comes as a man wrongfully put to death because the wages of sin is death Jesus had not sinned he defeats death through his resurrection and then he restores man to himself and reinstates man's authority on this earth as God's immature you see the scriptures are not just there as colorful metaphors 
They're not just there for things that we do. It is there for a purpose, and it's given power. We have to begin to understand our place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you, Lord, that you have restored us. That you have given glory to your Son, seated him at the right hand of the Father, far above all principalities, and everything that is named, Lord. And we are your body to be your representative on this earth and walk in the fullness and power of that authority. And so, God, we give you glory and honor. Lord, quicken our hearts to be like you, to represent you in all that we do. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Enjoy your Mother's Day lunch that you're going to make on time. We'll see you next Sunday.